This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The Liberal government tabled legislation yesterday to amend the rules on medical assistance in dying. This in response to a Quebec Superior Court ruling that deemed sections of both Quebec's and the federal government's legislation on this subject was unconstitutional because they are too restrictive. So the legislation would repeal the requirement that a person's natural death be quote, reasonably foreseeable, and also permit access to medical assistance in dying to someone whose death is reasonably foreseen, but who has lost the capacity to consent since deciding to do so through an agreement with a medical or nurse practitioner. The bill also removes the requirement for a 10-day reflection period and waives the requirement that a patient provide final consent. We'd like to hear from you. The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Dr. Chantal Perrault, a Toronto-based family physician and psychotherapist. She has been providing made assessments and procedures since July 2016, and Sandra Martin, a contributing author at the Globe and Mail and author of the award-winning book, A Good Death, Making the Most of Our Final Choices. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. A pleasure. Hello. Hi. Uh, Let's start with Dr. Perot. What is your reaction to this new legislation? Well, I think there are a number of positive features to it, but I don't think it goes far enough, unfortunately. Um, the, they say they are removing the criterion of naturally, uh, reasonably foreseeable natural death, but really they're just modifying it and it's still including it without a definition of what it actually means. Um, they are re- removing the 10-day waiting period, which is excellent for, for those patients who are suffering intolerably, but not for patients who um, are whose deaths did not meet the criterion of reasonably foreseeable, they will have to have a 90-day waiting period, which means that their suffering will have to go on for 90 days longer than it otherwise would have. Um, They do remove advance requests for some patients, but not for for all. The patient has to have made an appointment to have the made procedure, so it can't be somebody like Audrey Parker, the woman in Halifax who died early because she was afraid of losing capacity. She wanted to stay alive as long as possible and then have made once she lost capacity, but it would have meant that she would have had to set it date. So she did set a date and die earlier than she otherwise would have. So there are a number of things that need more attention. Uh, Sandra Barton, what's your take? I, um, first of all, want to say that I do respect David Lametti, the uh, Minister of Justice, because he was one of four Liberal backbenchers who voted against the original made law that the Liberal government had presented, because he knew there were parts of it that were unconstitutional. And one of them is the reasonably foreseeable natural death criteria. And um, so he's trying to fix that. And so I'm, I appreciate that part. There are other parts of the tabled legislation that I think are, are very problematic. So I will say that um, one of the problems for people wanting to have made, I mean, of course, first of all, what is a reasonably foreseeable natural death? Nobody can predict when someone's going to die, not with any accuracy. So what happens, well, what will happen under the legislation is that 
patients who, at the end of their lives, if they're terminally ill, they need, uh, they need pain medication, and that may make them lose capacity, or they go in and out of consciousness, this should make it easier for those patients because they will not have to affirm consent at the last minute. I suspect that what will happen in practice is that that conversation that doctors like to have as I understand it, in that you say to the patient, is this really what you want? This is the final time for you to say you can back out, but is this really what you want? That conversation will take place a little earlier. Is that a problem? I think it's not so much a problem. I mean, I think that for somebody who is definitely going to die very soon, it's okay that the 10-day waiting period is, is, uh, is gone. But for people whose death is not imminent, as it was with Audrey, for example, Audrey's, um, she had not lost capacity. She was feared that she might lose capacity if she waited several months until Christmas because she wanted to have another Christmas that she would. Um, that that 90-day period is probably already done by the time she's been assessed and approved. I mean, I want to point out that this is really only for patients who have been assessed and approved for MAID. It's I'm not sorry, for somebody um, who wakes up one morning and says, hey, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ill. Can we do it right now? There's always been a reflection period, but it will be easier now for those patients. But I am I'm, actually kind of astonished that they have specifically said in this legislation that um, a mental illness for the purposes of this legislation is neither a disease, an illness, or a disability. And okay, of course, be, mental be, illness is an illness. Before we get to that, uh, Dr. Perot, so um, it seems to me, uh, according to the numbers, most of the people who avail themselves, the, the biggest thing is cancer. So this has taken away a roadblock for people who are at the very end of their lives with cancer and who might lose their capacity. But um, does it remove roadblocks for people who have other diseases? No, it doesn't. And and even for patients who have cancer, it, they have to have set a date for MAID in order for them to be allowed to waive the final consent. So if somebody is, is eligible and approved, but they have not yet set the date, and then they become incapacitated, then they're not eligible. They can't receive MAID. Okay. So they actually have to have a specific date and time for their death arranged with the MAID provider. And um, y you've, uh, you've been on the ground doing this, so... Usually, when is that done? How far in advance is that done? You know, it really depends on the patient. And the oftentimes, the patients will be assessed and approved, and then they'll give me a call a week or so before the time that they want to actually book the, the MAID procedure. And I have had patients lose capacity in the time between the time that I've assessed them and the time that they were going to get back to me about it, uh, setting a date. Uh, and uh, Sandra just mentioned the issue of uh, that... People who, with mental illness, have been excluded from this, uh, do you agree that's a problem? Absolutely, I agree that's a problem. There are a number of, of patients whose primary diagnosis is a mental health uh, diagnosis, and they have been suffering for decades, and they're denied the the right to call their illness a medical condition, for one thing, which I think is awful, and it certainly adds to the stigma of mental illness, but it really forces them to continue suffering and intolerably suffering. Uh, Sandra Martin, uh, uh, isn't this just sort of the first salvo? Uh, there's going to be uh, major consultations coming down the pike that this was basically done to meet uh, the Quebec Superior Court's ruling. I think that uh, one can certainly argue that that is why it was done. And I think that that's 
specifically why they included the business about mental illness, because if you take away the reasonably foreseeable natural death criteria, then why wouldn't a mental illness be a good reason or an eligible reason for a patient who is suffering intolerably and who has tried many, many treatments and none has worked successfully, why wouldn't that be a reason for a person with whose primary uh, complaint is a mental illness? Why wouldn't that be a reason for mental illness to be allowed. So I think that that is why they specifically put that in, because there is going to be a consultation about the three excluded categories, mental illness, advance requests for people after diagnosis with with dementia, and mature minors, 16 and 17-year-olds. Uh, yeah, but I, they also paid attention to this survey they had. And, and Dr. Perroa, I think that uh, probably the public opinion on including the mental illness category was was probably overwhelmingly against. I think that the public is not there yet. Am I wrong? I actually don't know. I don't know either because I don't, I don't think they've stated that. But I would like to point out that mental illness was actually tested in court. When when the maid law was being discussed in Parliament, when there was that four-month delay that the, um, that the Liberal government of Justin Trudeau got before in 2016, and which the Liberal government now is petitioning for another four-month delay, um, in that period of time, people who wanted to have an assisted death had to go before a superior court judge and plead for it. And so the conditions under which you would apply for an exemption were based on the the Supreme Court decision in Carter. And in that particular situation, one woman with a mental illness um, was allowed an assisted death. It was tabled in response to a ruling by the Quebec Superior Court that the current legislation is unconstitutional because it's too restrictive. Now, since excuse me, MAID became legal in Canada in June 2016, there have been more than 13,000 medically assisted deaths. And uh, some recent studies shows uh, that actually the safeguards to prevent people, vulnerable people, from being forced into a situation were working, and that the people who got made tended to have also had palliative care beforehand, because that was another concern. Is that your experience, Dr. Perot? And certainly it's true for, for some of my patients, not all of them. And not all of my patients would have needed palliative care. And one of the questions that we have to answer in the monitoring form is whether or not patients would have access to it or if it was offered to them. And so patients certainly in Toronto might have access to it if there is enough availability of palliative care, which I don't think there is even in Toronto and certainly not across the country. So who wouldn't have, quote, needed palliative care? Uh, Patients who were not in their last weeks of life. So the, the, the Bill C-14 legislation as it is now covers patients who are on a trajectory towards death, but not necessarily terminal. So that could be their natural, reasonably foreseeable natural deaths could be a number of years out, not just weeks or months. Uh, Sandra, what's your view of that? Um, I'm a great believer in palliative care. I think there should be more of it. But I think this is really about choice. Um, it is um, people who choose to have Excuse me, people who choose to have made are people who want to be in control of their lives and their deaths and to make choices. Um, 
they sometimes they fear a very protracted um, painful death, but I mean, it, it they can ask for palliative care. There isn't enough palliative care in Canada, but I don't think it's a question of either or. I don't think that a patient should say, I want palliative care or I want maid. You should be able to ask for both and you should have access to both if you qualify. Mm-hmm. And uh, this whole question of mature minors, Dr. Perot, uh, do you think that should be allowed? Yes, I do. I think there are plenty of young people who have experienced a lot with the healthcare system over their lifetimes and have incurable illnesses, grievous and irremediable illnesses, and they're certainly savvy enough to make the decision themselves. And we would assess that on a case-by-case basis, as we do with any other medical procedure that a mature minor can consent to. Sandra, your view of that? I completely agree. I think that uh, someone who has suffered medical illnesses for most of his or her life that person is not the, it's his or her chronological age. I think they're so much older. They know so much more about living and dying than the rest of us. And I think that in many cases, they don't want to leave their parents bereft. And so they, they put up with one more procedure, one more this. But in fact, in many cases, it's just agony. And I think if they're entitled, as is legally so, that they can make decisions about other parts of their lives, why can't they make decisions about when it's time to die? The Canadian Medical Association uh, has called the changes, the proposed changes, a prudent step forward. And they say that they like the government's staged approach and they're very concerned about appropriate safeguards and also allowing physicians to act according to their moral commitments. Uh, Are they behind the curve, Dr. Perot? I think they're being very conservative. So whether they're behind the curve or not, I'm not sure, but certainly being very conservative and I think looking at a wait-and-see approach to see what happens with the formal review of the legislation that's going to be upcoming. And uh, Sandra, so what happens with doctors now, particularly if they're practicing in religious institutions that that don't offer this? Uh, does this leave them required to make a referral or not? Well, it depends on, I mean, as you know, the medical system, there's a federal law and then there, there are the provincial regulations. And certainly in Ontario, you have the duty to make an effective referral. You can't just say, uh, you can say, I don't want to help this patient, but you have to refer the patient to a doctor who would be willing to help the patient. I mean, one of the things that happened with palliative care doctors Having a law was a really important step in this country because we are such firm believers in peace, order, and good government. And so certainly um, the palliative care doctors at the University Health Network, for example, had a long, long discussion about this. And they decided after the law was passed in 2016 that if they accepted a patient as palliative, then that patient had what they called autonomy or was entitled to autonomy, which was choice. And so if a palliative care doctor wasn't willing to, um, to accede to the, to the patient's choice, then another doctor would step forward who was willing. Individual conscience rights are very important, but I don't believe that public institutions made of bricks and mortar have conscience rights, and I think that that is a real shortcoming in our legislation. Uh, a lot of hospitals are publicly funded, but... There, there. What should be done about that, Dr. Perot? 
I think any publicly funded institution should be mandated to allow made assessments and provision on site. Patients should not have to be removed for the purposes of either assessments or provisions. Uh, so what do you think is missing in this law in a nutshell? Well, it's leaving, are you asking me, it's, they're leaving out the excluded categories. So they are dealing with the um, imperative issue of the reasonably foreseeable natural death, which shouldn't have been in the law in the first place, either in Quebec or in Canada. So they're dealing with that issue more or less, but they have left the big, big issues. I mean, if you, if you ask yourself, what is my biggest fear of dying? It probably, I mean, I certainly know what I would say. It's a neurodegenerative disease that will, or dementia or some such thing like that, that will, that will keep me suffering for a very long time and from which there is no release. If I have a cancer or a bad heart disease, I know that I can probably get my choice of ending my life when, with help when I feel I've had enough, but not so with those other diseases. Yeah, and those are my biggest true. fears of dying. Go ahead, Dr. Perot. That's very true. There are, there are going to be many patients who are still going to be excluded with these changes in, in the legislation. And as I said before, I think they modified the reasonably foreseeable death criterion, but they did not remove it or repeal it. And because they haven't given a clear definition, there's going to continue to be uneven access across the country. There are some of us who look at reasonably foreseeable natural death as being within six months. Others of us who will stretch it out to as much to 12 to 15 years based on the AB decision in Ontario in 2000. 17. So that, again, it, this does, does not clarify it at all. And with the uh, advance request, again, it, it will help some people, but the person has to be informed that they are at risk of losing decision-making capacity before they schedule the date of their maid. So if they don't know, if they have a sudden stroke between the time of the assessment and the date that they have chosen, they won't be eligible because they wouldn't have been told ahead of time that they were at risk of losing capacity because a stroke is something that's unpredictable. So there are a number of things like that that are going to put patients at a significant disadvantage. Okay. Um, we are out of time for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Perot and Sandra Martin. Appreciate your input. Thank you Thank very you. much. Okay, as I said, that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.